Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of the Positive Aging Community. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. We're able to bring these discussions to you along with copies of the Positive Aging Sourcebook, thanks to the support of our Positive Aging Community Champions. Visit ProAging.com to connect with them and find hundreds of other resources. Today, we had a discussion with Dr. Jennifer Stetler, author of the Busy Caregiver's Guide to Advanced Alzheimer's Disease, published by Johns Hopkins Press. Dr. Stedler is a psychologist working in memory care, and she shares a new model called the Dementia Connections Model, which is based on current scientific research and will aid you in forging a positive bond with your loved ones, your residents, with less frustration. So let's jump into a great discussion with Dr. Stetler. Then I need to let in our streaming folks who are on uh, YouTube and LinkedIn. And now I have really been looking forward to this discussion for uh, quite some time. I met uh, Dr. Jennifer Stetler or was introduced to her and uh, learned about the book that she wrote. And as you all know, we love hosting authors on these discussions because they've taken an extremely deep dive into their subject area and are are fantastic objective resources. But uh, I was also excited because she's got a model of care, the dementia connection model that she's going to share with us. And uh, I I know this should be a, a very thought-provoking and informative uh, discussion, and we're excited to welcome Dr. Jennifer Stetler to the stage. And uh, Dr. Stetler, real charged up that you're able to uh, meet with us today. I, 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 I believe you're in Chicago, correct? That's correct. All right. Well, um, before we dive into your book and the Dementia Connections model, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and what led to you uh, being interested in this topic. Absolutely. I should first say thank you, Steve, for having me and uh, just your upcoming topics too. I'm floored. I think I'm going to actually join the one that's the real life story because I really want to hear that recovery. Wow, just unbelievable. The uh, folks that you have on your platform. So thank you for all that you do. Um, so yeah, my, my journey is a little bit different than most people who provide service in dementia care. You know, typically they get into the industry, the field, because they have care for someone who has lived with uh, dementia, um, you know, any kind of form. And so for me, it was actually opposite. Um, you know, I actually, I'm a clinical psychologist by trade. So the first half of my career was in mental health and serving folks with mental health challenges for quite a number of years. And why I became a psychologist, which is often a question I get asked, is because I actually went through my own mental health journey in my late teens, early 20s, and wanted to give back because my recovery was something that I feel was important to share. And what I learned through the use of coping tools and non-pharmacy intervention really drove my fire to share with other people that this is an option for you. And it's not to say that medication, there isn't a place for that because there certainly is. And, and I actually trialed my own medications with, you know, the work of, you know, being uh, managed by psychiatrists and things like that. But 
uh, what really helped me throughout my journey was those coping tools. And so I turned it into a labor of love to give back to the community. And I work with a wide variety of uh, clients in with mental health challenges. And so from there, um, I uh, decided, you know, I, I entered into the senior living space um, thereafter, uh, still in mental health, uh, working with a large organization here in Chicago to help open up one of their behavioral health programs. And so in that transition from the kind of outpatient world of mental health to senior living was a transition of itself. But I quickly fell in love with working with people who had dementia. And so that exposure then had me transition into primarily doing that here in my second half of my career. And so unexpectedly, of course, I did have a grandmother-in-law who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And so I was able to be an asset to the family, which I was very grateful for. They were as well. Um, that I could share my expertise in helping guide their treatment with her and things like that. So, um, so again, my my journey is a little bit different in that I fell in love with the population first, and then you know, of course, it, it worked out where I was able to help my family, and so I can continue to do that. In um, where I was able to develop the Dementia Connection Institute uh, and things like that. So that's a little bit my journey. I love it, and you know, uh, as an aside, I, I am really delighted at how the discussions during uh, and and throughout COVID about mental health and now, you know, knowledge that social isolation is not healthy and things of that mm -hmm. nature. You know, I think, I feel like uh, COVID did a lot to lower the stigma, the negative stigma associated with mental health and and getting help and that it doesn't, necessarily mean that we're broken. It's something that we all can benefit from uh, just thinking differently about how we think and uh, feelings and, and interactions. So um, 100%. I think that it's, it's almost like, what can you take from the pandemic? Because there's so many bad things. But what we can take is that the opportunity to be able to shine light on how important it is for us all to have a therapist, a psychologist, a counselor in our back pocket. And, I, and I've always been stressing this. And, and, and now I can say that it's rung true, right? Is that, you know, we have, everyone has a dentist, everyone has a primary care physician, you know, women, we have gynecologists. It's like you, you need to have, you know, your therapist in your back pocket too, and see this person routinely for maintenance sessions, because this controls all of this. And so we, without this, this doesn't exist. And so I think that the pandemic had the opportunity to shine light on that, to say, this is an important person on your treatment team mm -hmm. that you should have to maintain your health throughout the rest of your life. And so I couldn't agree more, Steve. Yeah. And, and I think your background is really a, a, um, an excellent one, because one thing that I hear an awful lot of is, is when families call me because mom and dad or somebody they're caring for it has dementia and alzheimer's it it really um i mean you talk about just an emotional uh and impacting our mental health is is that this person that we love is not behaving the way that that they should or the way that i want them to or you know what have you and Th that really provide is is very traumatic to a lot of uh, a lot of loved ones. So absolutely, I, I highly encourage caregivers to 
seek their own counseling. Um, that's something we do provide through the Dementia Connection Institute. Seek your own counseling, you know, stay educated, provide support for yourself because it's a long journey for a lot of people. And I think it's important that you're continuing to take care of yourself so you can be strong enough to take care of your loved one. So I 100% I agree with that. Great. And so um, what I'm going to drop into chat is you, you're representing uh, a lot of different organizations and, and products, but I'm going to definitely drop in your book uh, and the link on Amazon if people are interested in that. And then you've been referencing the Dementia Connections Institute. So we'll uh, drop that in as well. But then I think you've got a slide deck. Whoops. Uh, you've got a slide deck that you're going to um, uh, share to kind of give us some insights. And then um, and then we can talk a little bit about how the Dementia uh, Connections Institute can help folks out. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Steve. I'll go ahead and share my screen now. And I encourage everybody to, if you've got questions at any point in time, drop them in and uh, we will do our best to uh, address those. And I'm going to duck behind the curtain here. All right. <laughs> take it away, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this labor of love, right, it continues throughout my career and why I developed the Dementia Connection model. And so I'll, I'll kind of talk through as I'm going through the slide deck, like how this came to be, uh, because, you know, by no means when I entered into the dementia care field that I think that I would be creating a new model of care. And, you know, it was really an, an answer of pain points to many healthcare professionals and family members who in talking with them and what they needed. And so it kind of just developed over a 10 year period. And, um, you know, being able to publish with Johns Hopkins, you know, regarding the model in the book that, you know, Steve's referencing in the chat, you know, it just was an unbelievable kind of experience to be able to share this with everybody. Um, so let's dive in, you know, briefly, you know, uh, in knowing that folks like yourselves are, you know, following uh, individuals like Steve and his podcasts, his services, things like that. You know, I think many people already have a good understanding of what is dementia, but I always like to start with just some basics just in case and be able to also open up that door in case there are questions because, you know, we continue to learn all the time. I continue to learn myself. I continue to go to uh, webinars and, and conferences to learn more about this disease because things are forever changing in what we learn. And so just to start from a basic level, you know, what dementia is, it's a neurocognitive disorder. And I think what is just unbelievable about our field is that, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't able to diagnose. This was not in the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM. It was not in that, in that book that we use as psychologists and psychiatrists use to diagnose mental health disorders. And now it is, which is absolutely wonderful. And so the disease spans from mild to major. So mild cognitive impairment all the way to a major neurocognitive disorder. Um, but the term dementia is not the diagnosis itself, okay? What dementia is, it's a loss of uh, mental functioning. And so sometimes what we'll see if you're uh, someone in a position where you might view diagnoses or maybe you've seen your loved one diagnosis and it says dementia with or without behavioral disturbances. And essentially what that means is that the it's a placeholder. The physician isn't sure which type or form of dementia there is. But if you can believe there's actually over 
120 types of dementia, over 120. Um, and actually, uh, again, forever student, I will have, you know, in the last year or so have been, you know, telling people the latest is that there's over 100. And I just learned from a webinar the other day, over 120 now, right? Because we're adding in things like COVID markers and things like that too. So it's just unbelievable how we continue to learn. But as you see under this umbrella, right, there, there are some common uh, forms that we are familiar with. Alzheimer's disease is the most common, which you may know about two thirds of all cases. Uh, frontal temporal dementia, you know, something where we have more tools to diagnose this, we're more aware of those symptoms. And, you know, folks, you know, like the, um, you know, Willis's and Moore's, you know, Bruce Willis, Demi Moore, to be able to share what Bruce Willis is going through just allows the awareness to continue to unfold. So we're grateful that they're willing to, to share that personal journey, you know, that he's experiencing. Vascular dementia, Lewy bodies, again, all common, you know, Steve's um, uh, person who's coming on, his guest in a couple of weeks, next week, actually, uh, you know, was diagnosed with Lewy bodies, you know, so it's, these are kind of the most common that we see within the field, but there are, again, over 120. Um, and so when we talk about the myth that I often, or a, a saying that I often hear is, you know, my mom had Alzheimer's disease, she did not have dementia. And that's not accurate because Alzheimer's disease is a form of dementia. But if someone has dementia, it does not necessarily mean they have Alzheimer's disease because as you can see, there are many forms, right? So it's important that we are striving for that actual diagnosis and which we can do now through a series of uh, diagnostic evaluations, you know, why our treatment team is so important because a neurologist should be involved, a neuro or clinical psychologist and so on and so forth. And so it's important that we put all that information together to be able to, to know what that diagnosis is. Um, so as I mentioned, dementia is a loss of mental functioning, which causes deficits in memory, language, learning ability, judgment, and orientation. So depending on which symptoms are present, that would equate to which form of dementia that they have. And I got to correct my slide right here, over 120 forms of dementia, pretty crazy. And so with the dementia connection model, you know, it's, it's a new framework, meaning that it actually came out October of 2021 20, when published in the Busy Caregiver's Guide to Advanced Alzheimer's Disease with Johns Hopkins. And as I mentioned, a labor of love, you know, I entered into the dementia care space, uh, not knowing I would actually kind of move into that. I was, you know, came into senior living about 12 years ago and um, you know, from that point, I was working on a new behavioral health program for this company I was consulting with. And, you know, when I was exposed to their memory care program that they had for the, for the company, I just said, this is where I really need to be as well. And so I was, had the opportunity to be able to take on that program, the various sites that they had neighborhoods at manage and, and really redevelop their whole entire program to make it this very successful. And so I was, you know, through that journey, you know, listening and observing nurses, CNAs, um, activity staff, family members, just saying, you know, there's, this is a struggle, you know, especially nurses and CNAs when they've told me, I was just astounded that they don't get training in school for this. And I was like, wow. So you come into this field and your first education on dementia is when you enter or you start to work for an organization in senior living. And that just, just astounded me. And so I said, there's got to be a better way to explain what's going on so people can truly connect to the people that they care for. 
you know, whether that's their residents, it's their loved ones, you know, so on and so forth. And so, you know, the framework was kind of developed in terms of understanding what the disease is, which is that theory of retrogenesis that you see here on the slide, which we'll go into. And then it was, okay, well, now that they have this information, well, how do I use it, right? And that's the active habilitation, which you see there, we're going to go into that. And last, but certainly not last, that third pillar is the use of what is my tools then? So what do I actually use? and the use of sensory stimulation. So we're gonna talk about why you're gonna use sensory stimulation as it ties back to what you're learning about the disease. So without further ado, I'm gonna play you a video that I created to explain the dementia connection model, and then I'm gonna add some pieces to it to kind of recap as well. So here we go. This may be familiar to you. All too often you want the best for the person you care for, but time and time again, the interaction just doesn't seem successful, leaving you feeling less connected to the person and potentially sad, frustrated, and hopeless. The Dementia Connection model brings together three known pillars in dementia care into one framework. The theory of retrogenesis, the act of habilitation, and using sensory stimulation to create sensory-based information for the person with dementia. The first pillar of the Dementia Connection model is the theory of retrogenesis, created by Dr. Barry Reisberg, this theory says a person with Alzheimer's disease loses brain functions in the reverse order that they learn them. Therefore, all their skills will go in reverse from adulthood to infancy, like how they walk, talk, take care of themselves, cope with stress, etc. Consequently, their chronological age will eventually not match their developmental age. Dr. Reisberg found that those with more advanced Alzheimer's disease may be in a state where their developmental age is anywhere between seven years old to four weeks old. So, although you may be taking care of someone with dementia who is 80 years old, they may have the skill abilities of a young child. However, his theory does not support treating the elderly like children, although the acceptance of the person's current skill abilities is crucial to understanding what they can and cannot do and to lower the expectations that the caregiver may have the person with dementia. This allows you, as the caregiver, to be fully present, not blocked by thoughts that lead to sadness, frustrations, and hopelessness. The second pillar of the Dementia Connection model is the act of habilitation. Simply put, it is important to consistently reinforce the skills the person still has. There are two known skills a person with dementia has as the disease progresses. One, because we know their skills are reversing toward a younger state, they will navigate their new world similarly to how infants then children navigate theirs, using their senses to take in sensory-based information. Young ones will use their senses to learn meaning, and then when things are called, from the use of auditory, visual, olfactory, gustatory, and tactile stimuli. Two, they can still feel a full range of emotions, Although they may not be able to express those feelings through words, they try to communicate them through behavioral expressions, similar to how children communicate before they know and understand words to describe their feelings. To put these together, stimuli from the outside, either directly or indirectly, influences the limbic system of the brain, which houses our mood and memory. So stimuli can influence our emotions and our memories. When we reinforce our emotional and memory skills in a positive way over and over again, those skills will stick around for much longer. Also, specifically the person with dementia 
will start to associate those positive feelings with you who is providing the positive stimulation, creating a deeper connection. Therefore, the third pillar of the Dementia Connection model is using positive sensory stimulation to create the sensory-based information for the person with dementia to take in that will influence their emotional and memory skills. So your approach should be using various sensory techniques that are positive and preferred by the person, like playing their favorite music for auditory stimulation, using essential oils that have therapeutic benefits for olfactory stimulation, offering their favorite foods for gustatory stimulation, reminiscing with pictures for visual stimulation, and painting for tactile stimulation. You can influence the person with dementia to feel happy, safe, secure, and calm, and also to be more focused and attentive. How great is that? The key to using the Dementia Connection model is the three R's, routine, remind, reward. Essentially, consistently use sensory stimulation cues, and it will boost the mood and memory of the person with dementia, and they will feel more connected to you. Also, a bonus, when you feel you've mastered this, then it will also boost your mood too, and you will feel connected again to that person. You know, so simply put, you know, when we look at these three pillars, it's looking at that theory of retrogenesis as just an explanation to allow us to put ourselves in that person's shoes to say, what is what does their world look like as they're progressing through this journey? What does that look like? And so what it looks like and what research has pointed to is that they're going to experience their world very similarly to how adolescents experience their world. And what that is, is that they use their senses to navigate, to communicate, to connect to other people, right? I mean, think about this, right? In the first five years of life, uh, children will learn, essentially, by watching, observing, listening, and then doing things over and over again. That's how we all learn how we to, to feed ourselves. That's how we all learn to toilet ourselves. That's how we learn to walk. That's how we learn to talk, right? We at two years old didn't pick up a book and read it and just did it, right? We had to take in the information called sensory-based information in and use it. So people living with dementia, they're gonna move to that state and that's what they're gonna rely on more to learn what they should be doing, what's their purpose, how they should communicate and connect, right? So because we know that, of course, we're going to use sensory-based uh, stimulation, right, to connect with them. And so when we do that, and we do it over and over and over again, which is that active habilitation, they will start to learn, again, what they should be doing, purpose, all of that. So there's an immediate effect, which is explained through that clinical understanding of what happens when stimuli comes in. And when stimuli comes in, it influences the limbic system, which was what you saw in the video here, right? Where it influences our emotions and our memories, okay? But from a psychological standpoint, um, which I'm gonna go to my this maybe next slide here. From a psychological standpoint, the dementia connection model is actually the first cognitive behavioral theory in dementia care because it allows us to know how does our thinking play into this? So when we are influenced from the environment, right, we have our emotions influenced our memories, but that also impacts our behaviors, right? And so that's why we do see people living with dementia when they appear to be angry or appear to be frustrated or sad. 
there are behavioral expressions that show that as well through their body language, right? They might wander away. They might become verbally aggressive, physically aggressive, you know, sundown, you know, those kinds are common types of behavioral expressions we see because they are simply acting on the emotion that they're experiencing. And so the dementia connection model is simply saying, which you can see here is let's use positive stimuli, right? And that positive stimuli needs to be very individualized to that person. For example, like what kind of music would be uh, positive for them? What kind of smells would be positive for them? Those kinds of things, right? And that's gonna influence those emotions, right? Because of that, what's happening with the limbic system. It's gonna influence those memories, again, limbic system. And now we have the ability to influence those behaviors in productive ways, okay? So that's a dementia connection model in a nutshell. And so um, when we look at, you know, this in terms of further explanation, you know, the uh, book that was published with Johns Hopkins, which you have a link to, We'll definitely go into all facets. How do you apply this model to uh, ADL care? How do you apply it to communication? How do you apply it to, um, you know, various ways to engage a person? You know, so on and so forth, right? Each chapter kind of goes into an area of dementia care and how do you apply that model? And what's great, it's a workbook style. So at the end of each chapter, you actually have a chart that you can start to trial and error different tools. And at the end of the book, you have a full toolbox of things that you can use to work with your loved one or the people that you care for, you know, so on and so forth. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time kind of giving you some ideas of some multi-sensory tools you can use that I found successful in working with people living with dementia. Um, and again, I just want to preface that it needs to be individualized. So if you know the person, you may know already what kind of music that they like and things like that. But if you don't know them and you're getting to know them, then we're going to trial and error, right? And so let's start with visual stimulation, what we see. Um, and in my book, I go into more depth about colors because colors are very profound. Um, very similarly to how colors are very profound to adolescents in the first few years of life as their eyes are forming, colors are very profound. And that's if you recall, if you are a parent or maybe a godparent or an aunt or uncle, whatever it might be, right? Um, you may recall that bold colors are really powerful in their first few years of life. So the same thing is going to be uh, with people living with dementia, because again, everything's going in reverse towards infancy. Um, but lime green is actually the most profound color because it is the longest color that we as humans can see. But specifically in a clinical trial that was done around sundowning, they found that when the environment um, and even um, employees wore lime green, that they had a decrease in sundowning kinds of behaviors. Um, and so I've encouraged that people, I've, you know, organizations I've consulted with that, are you open to trialing your nurses and CNAs to moving from the traditional white uniforms to lime green to see if this helps with reducing you know, various things that go along with sundowning. And so some have taken that and, and we've seen some really good success. Now, if you're into using signs, which is a great visual as well throughout the environment to guide the person so that way they can be as independent as possible, um, they there's another specific trial that was done looking at font. And so they're recommending 22 to 24 font size in the acrylic type. So if you're familiar with different kinds of font sizes, there are different ways you can display your words. Acrylic is the best for people living with dementia and your sign should be lime green. And this, this clinical trial actually uh, showed an increase in navigation by 33%, which is wonderful. 
Um, other powerful uh, colors, red and uh, yellow, okay? When we talk about dining, these are really great colors to have your plate wear, okay? So do away with any white creams or really dark colors. Um, think bold color plate wear to help to sustain attention, increase hunger. And these are clinical trials that were done through Boston University. Um, and so those are some really bold colors that you wanna stick to. I'm um, not gonna go through every single color for time purposes, but you can catch more in the book, of course. Um, but other visual stimuli, think about pictures that they might want to uh, look through or talk about, right? That's going to be a great way to reminisce and to bring out that visual stimulation that's positive. Uh, other relaxing scenes that can either be, you know, displayed via artwork uh, on the TV, iPads, phones, outside their window, taking them outside. Um, what do they, what is their zen? What would they like to see a lot of, okay? Um, some resources for you um, that uh, people that I've ran into and that we work with, uh, Memory Lane TV is a great resource. That could be at home. It could be um, within a facility if your loved one is living there um, or if you work for an organization. It's a great way to have very controlled TV because as you know, there's so many negative um, aspects that can be shown on TV and people living with dementia, as the disease progresses, they won't be able to decipher what's real and what's not real. So it can cause a lot of distress to them. So with memory lane TV, it's like Netflix for people living with dementia, where it's all pro-social positive kinds of content, which is great. Um, and then our company has actually added the olfactory piece to it, um, you know, using essential oils and things like that. So check that out. Um, also, reading magazines and books, another great resource, Link Senior, specific to senior living organizations, but they've got a lot of great content that can be used as well. But we have to pay attention to our facial expressions as family members, caregivers, because what they, what they read on our face is what they're going to think that they need to express as well. And so we don't want them to match anything that's negative in nature. We want them to match positive things, right? So we have to do our very best to make sure our face shows a calmness or a happiness or a contentment, things like that. Moving on to auditory stimulation, again, what do they like to hear? Music has been shown and clinically trialed, you know, time and time again, very profound. Music and memory has done some really great research, research, uh, me, research on this and um, finding music of their era that they can identify with is really powerful. But think of other, you know, relaxing sounds that they enjoy, whether that's white noise, birds chirping, kids laughing, a, a certain family member's voice, right? Um, I have Dream Egg as a resource here can be found on Amazon, a little on the go device that plays different sounds that could attach to a wheelchair walker. And it's just great because um, you're able to kind of choose what they like and it can always go with them, which is wonderful, or it can be used in the event that maybe they start to feel negative emotions and those behaviors are coming out and you can start to play that music if you need it in the moment. But let's pay attention also to our tone of voice because how we are speaking is going to be indicative of how we feel often. So we want to make sure we're trying to, you know, talk calmly in a monotone kind of voice that really expresses, you know, various things. Uh, and how we're feeling in a positive way. Now, these other things I have on here, validation therapy, best friends approach. These are all approaches to care that maybe you're familiar with if you've been in this industry, all great forms of auditory stimulation. I promote all of these uh, as these are folks who are colleagues of mine who created them. Uh, tactile stimulation. So what we feel, right, with our hands. And so this can be things that we make, things we create, things that we do, right? Um, why, you know, next to olfactory stimulation, tactile is so 
uh, powerful because not only of course is it enjoyable to do the things uh, that we like to do with our hands, but there's a process that starts to occur when we use our hands called neuroplasticity. And this may have been discussed before on Steve's uh, podcast, but um, you know, what's important to know about neuroplasticity is that it's always, you know, when that process is occurring, there's always new neural connections forming in our brain, which is great. Our brain can adapt to use other parts that are needed. And so it's really wonderful that it can do that. Um, and so the more that we use, do things with our hands, it's creating that neuroplasticity process. But the side benefit of that, and so at the Insta, we always talk about side benefits to our non-pharmacological tools uh, versus side effects when medications are used. So a side benefit is that a grounding effect occurs where it lowers anxiety and fear, increases attention and concentration. And that is the best recipe when caring for someone with dementia. Would you agree? I think you would, right? Um, and so tactile simulation is such a powerful way to connect to that person. And we'll talk about why olfactory is also important. Um, but here are some examples you see on the slide of things that they can do. Again, what did they like to do? What do they like to do? Um, and that may change as the disease progresses because they might start to like things to do that they liked in their 30s, 20s, teens, you know, things like that. So we may be forever changing. But you can also use different kinds of um, hand exercisers or fidget items can also uh, take into account here to use hands. Um, the use of dolls and pets um, in terms of uh, animatronic pets and things like that, um, really well known and well used here in our industry. Uh, Lego play is somewhat new on the scene, but creating stories uh, through the use of Legos. And as a disease progresses, I would just um, recommend using um, bigger pieces and things like that, uh, especially if they're having hand dexterity issues. Uh, and as a disease progresses, they may put little pieces in their mouth. So we'd certainly want to stay away from that from middle to late stage. Um, and then again, another approach to care, Montessori method, are familiar, familiar with this with Cameron Camp, another colleague of mine, and, and he is, you know, educating people on repurposing what they did for a living, doing it now. Um, and I have used this tactic so many times with people living with dementia and the joy on their face and, and what they get out of it at all the time is just unbelievable. So highly recommend that too. Um, gustatory stimulation, what we eat. Um, and so it is important to incorporate the foods that they enjoy. Now, I do realize some of those may not be the healthiest options, so all in moderation. But you can also incorporate if they did like to cook or bake, you know, doing taste testing with you or, you know, stirring the contents or putting ingredients in, depending on what stage that they're in, they can still contribute in some way. Um, you know, potlucks, things, spice tasting, things like that. Now, uh, Jelly Drops is a uh, little drop that it's a... Uh, a company called the Pat, uh, Pattinson's uh, out in Canada. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a really great resource to have because if your loved one or residents are challenged with uh, drinking water, which is often the case as the disease progresses, we want to get water in them as much as possible. And they may not always enjoy drinking regular water. So jelly drops are great because they're dissolvable. You just pop them in the mouth. They taste like candy, but they're sugar-free. So great for if there's any health concerns, weight, diabetes, anything like that. This is sugar-free. And it gives them that burst of like a um, Kool-Aid or something like that. And, um, you know, oftentimes they, they want more, which is wonderful um, because, you know, people living with dementia eventually are not going to think to drink. And so we need to be able to do that for them to remind them to take those things. So jelly drops are a great resource as well.
And then of course we have our olfactory and with olfactory stimulation, we, uh, that's what we smell and why what we smell is also so impactful, just like tactile stimulation is because it's, it's actually a direct influence of the limbic system. All other stimuli is actually an indirect, meaning that it's processed somewhere else in the brain first, and then it goes to the limbic system. Where with olfactory, it actually is a direct influence and can start to take magic, I'll say, within 22 seconds, really, really fast. You know, if you think about you're trying to make a positive influence or you're trying to change behavior with an RX medication, that can take up to 30 minutes to start working. Where with olfactory stimulation, 22 seconds to start working. Unbelievable, right? Um, and so this can be, you know, uh, exercising that olfactory can be, um, you know, kind of doing a guess game with uh, different pungent items in jars and guessing what those are. Um, using a humidifier regularly is just really good for breathing and having some, you know, good flow of oxygen there. But, you know, uh, if the person loves to, you know, smell fresh uh, baked cookies or coffee, you know, those are things that you can use as well. But we are a big proponent of using essential oils. And why is that? Because a lot of people living with dementia do experience anosmia, which is the loss of smell. So they won't be able to smell things like coffee and bread and those kinds of things eventually. Where with essential oils, it doesn't necessarily matter if they can smell the scent that they're smelling. Essential oils will still always work because they have an entryway into the blood-brain barrier, the way that they're broken down into very small molecules when diffused in the air or when inhaled. And so what's great is that essential oils can still be impactful, even though they may have anosmia present. And so that is, of course, aromatherapy, right? And so aromatherapy, I, I've been using this for years with people living with dementia, and there's a whole section of it in my book. And we, there are oils for all kinds of things that you may need that your loved one or your residents are struggling with from, you know, appetite issues to, you know, gut discomfort issues, mood, right? Um, sundowning types of behaviors, sleep issues, right? These are all very common types of symptoms that are experienced and there are essential oils for those things. Um, so it's important to choose the oil that is going to be indicative of that particular symptom that they're experiencing. And we have a whole bunch of options that are in the book, but also we have a new certification program to certify any caregiver, whether you're a family member, whether you are a professional um, on the Dementia Connection model, and we give you resources as to which oils you should use for which symptoms throughout the whole seminar. So um, that is a much longer discussion, uh, but important to choose the oil based on which symptom you're trying to treat. Um, and what's great about essential oils is that they're minimal to no side effects, depending on how it's used. You definitely need to be educated on safety, dilution, all that kind of stuff, which we provide you at the Institute. Um, but it's certainly something that can be very profound. I've seen so many benefits to this. And so to kind of tie this all together with all the senses, right, um, we developed the perfect day. And the perfect day essentially is saying that um, through the use of habilitation, you are consistently using these sensory-based tools throughout the day. You can actually set your loved one, your residents up for success, okay? Creating the perfect day. Um, and so when we have done this, and I did this through a trial uh, specifically in wellness dining, and not only did we see immediate effects of, you know, increased appetite and, um, you know, uh, more food consumption and things like that, um, we saw a long-term effect 
So in about four weeks, we actually saw that residents in that this particular community, they learned what they should be doing. They learned when it was mealtime. They escorted themselves to the dining area, right? Um, the Just the independence we saw through this was unbelievable. So the dementia connection model does show that there's immediate and long-term effects, which is wonderful. And so when you go through this perfect day, think about high intensity kinds of activities and engagement in the morning. And you want it the uh, kind of intensity to come down throughout the day to match their circadian rhythm. And that's gonna reduce sundowny types of behaviors. And so I've actually seen in, in, in uh, different kinds of clients and things that I've worked with that we've been able to eliminate the sundowny behavior simply by implementing the perfect day. Uh, so in the morning, think of this is where your exercise come in, which is multi-sensory, cognitive games, which is multi-sensory, music, auditory, essential oils, olfactory, right? Um, you want to use things that are going to be upbeat, things that are going to, again, burn that energy. With essential oils, we recommend peppermint and a wild orange or a citrus of some sort because pe peppermint's very invigorating. Wild orange increases appetite and uplifts mood. That's a great recipe in the morning, right? Midday, you know, you carry on that music. You know, you want to upbeat, you know, but you want it with no words. Um, so kind of think like upbeat classical kinds of music so people can socialize and not distracted by the words and carry on with that citrus scent. You know, bergamot is another example of a great citrus for increasing the appetite, keeping mood elevated. And then, of course, right after that, we want it to come down, right? We want it to, them to start to calm, right? And they have difficulty calming themselves, and that's why sundowning occurs. And so that's where you're going to pull out all that tactile items, right? The dolls, the pets. Uh, whether it be art, whether it be fidget items, weighted blankets, things like that. Music's going to be very calming. We suggest that what's called a non-bihermic music where it's one tone playing that's been studied to show uh, very effective for sundowning kinds of behaviors. Diffusing lavender essential oil, very calming, okay? You're going to do this about 30 minutes prior to the expected sundowning time. So that way they're in it, they're engaged, they're immersed in all these this positive stimuli and this will help to lower that opportunity for sundowning behaviors to occur. And you can actually use these all through the evening and then diffuse that lavender all through the night for a nice restful night's sleep to get to get up and do it the perfect day all over again, right? And you are doing such a service to the people you serve if you are able to strategically set this up every day, just a few handful of tools and you schedule it very similarly to how you schedule activities or appointments or medication times, right? Um, if you follow us on social media, we're on all the platforms. We talk a lot about social prescribing. This is what this is. You can do this as the caregiver, no matter your degree, no matter your background, you can do this. Um, you know, if you're looking to lower the use of psychotropic medications in your loved one or your residents, obviously work with qualified providers to do that. But they want to hear you say that you're swapping out um, medication for these kinds of tools or in combination where maybe we don't have to have as much medication because some of these other tools are working. And that's where I bring in my prior life into this life to share this with you. So that's really the dementia connection model in a nutshell, how you know different tools that you can use, um, how you could apply habilitation throughout the day uh, with regards to that reinforcement of skills. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. And I hope this was helpful. I love it. Yeah, this is uh, great. Uh, <clears throat> Jennifer. And uh, what I also love is, is when these discussions intersect with previous discussions. So like uh, 
some of the things that you referenced, the validation method, we've had uh, them on talking about that platform and the Legos, you know, and the uh, uh, we've had discussions related to that. One of the things that you referenced that I was not aware of are the jelly drops. That's really a uh, a, a great product. There it looks looks to be an, an amazing product. Um, Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, Puro says, is there any certification for caregivers to add as a skill set as well as as well and volunteer or look for an alternate carrier? Um, so yeah, tell. So if somebody is interested in this, like what does the process look like to become uh, certified in this in this method? Absolutely. We made it as simple as possible. I've been in this industry for a long time, and I know some certifications, there's a lot of hoops to jump and things like that. And I understand as a caregiver, you just don't have time for that. And this certification is in certifying you how to connect to that person, right? So it's open to anybody, no matter of your degree. So we have family members who take it. We've had healthcare professionals take it. Um, and it, it really has served you know, our mission. And we continue to strive for that mission to educate as many people as possible. So you simply will go to our website, DementiaConnectionInstitute.org, click on um, certification programs, and you can read about the, the Dementia Connection Specialist or DCS Credentialing Certification Program. Um, and then you click on that and you sign up for one of our dates. Um, you'll be sent an application to complete. Um, and then you simply take the course, pass the exam, and you're certified. Um, it's that simple. And what's great within our certification and what's a little bit different than other certifications is, of course, you get the workbook, which is very common. But you also get your own sensory uh, toolbox called my toolbox. And in there, we go through certain things. Of, these are all samples that we go through within the seminar to teach you how to use these things. So um, in there, um, a few essential oils there. My book is in there. Actually, you get the book with it. Um, you uh, receive um, a, a tactile object in there that you can use for yourself or for the people that you care for. Um, and there's a pain pack in there. We talk about ADL care and how to reduce pain. So there's a lot of different fun tools in there that you get along with the certification. Um, and so it's a really easy process to sign up. Now, if you're a healthcare professional, there's also a trainer option where you can actually train others to become DCSs. We need more members to help carry out our mission. We have a, a few handful throughout the United States uh, we're known nationwide and hope to continue to span that. So we, yeah. we welcome healthcare professionals to help us out. Well, you could also see we're having somebody in, like if you're working in a community where you're supervising a lot of people, having the trainer um, credential, I guess, to just your own internal staff, helping them understand this a little bit better. Um, Absolutely. Really good question here. Um, we're seeing a doctor about my mother this weekend. I have two questions. How soon before this recording will be posted? Well, it, I generally get it up in an hour. So I should have this up in an hour. If you go to proaging.com, you should see it up there. And if not, just send me an email and I'll send you the link and uh, we'll make sure. And then two, is there a less list of questions that I can take to my doctor? She is 88 and he is 90. My father and I are the caregivers. Um, so it sounds like mom is the uh, the one that is um, uh, ha has dementia. Um, so any 
words of wisdom and maybe, I mean, obviously getting your book uh, and, and reading through it, but what are some things that we can do? Like if, if somebody is in the audience right now, like, like this person asking this question, what are some things maybe we could do this weekend or share some of these resources with our health providers? Yeah. So, you know, in terms of, of questions to be asked, you know, um, Certainly, you know, one thing is I'm going to encourage this person to go to my website. There is an Ask Dr. Stelter tab um, where you can actually click and you can send me questions that you have uh, free of charge. I will email personally to your email what those answers are. So if there's specific questions you have around this particular appointment, please go to our website and reach out to me. Um, but otherwise, you know, the, the biggest thing is, and depending on where you guys are at in this journey with her, is definitely what are my options for uh, resources, right? I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, there's no known medical treatment for dementia. Um, a lot of it is social-based, right? It is what are the tools I can use? Who's out there to help guide my treatment? You know, things like that. So I would certainly focus on what your resources are that they're specifically recommending based on her symptomology and things like that. Because it all depends really on what he's thinking too. Now, if she's not yet been diagnosed, I would highly recommend if you ask that you have a neurologist that they would recommend that you go to um, where further testing can be done. Would they recommend a neuro or clinical psychologist for further testing to help uh, provide some of that content to the neurologist that you'll eventually go to? Um, that would be important as well. Um, I would also take a look at if this uh, physician particularly is concerned, you know, that this person is in their earlier phases. There are some newer Alzheimer's medications that have come out if the physician feels that she may have Alzheimer's that might be able to be, uh, this person may be able to have a, be a candidate for. Um, the newest one is called Laducanumab that came out. Um, the efficacy rate is in about the 40 percentile. It's pill form, better than the first version that came out, which was Aducanumab, and that was more IV therapy, which was a little harder, less efficacy. So see if mom is a candidate for something like that. The earlier you can start her on some of these kinds of newer medications, the better. But she may or may not be a candidate for that, but I would ask about that, okay? Is she a candidate for these newer Alzheimer's medications that have just come out? Um, now, Medicare does not cover it, but you know, work with your doctor around what that might look like and things like that. Um, if the, he's suggesting a neuroleptic medication, I think that's something that you guys can discuss as well. But again, earlier started, the better. So. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, various resources, the Alzheimer's Association, fantastic resource. They have got so much on their website for, um, you know, children taking care of their parents and things like that. So definitely a great resource there. Um, you might want to get with some kind of case manager to help guide you through the process in terms of educating you on various options for uh, care at home. And then if you decide to eventually uh, place mom in a facility, you know, what those options are as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I hope that helps in terms of, you know, just generally knowing what might be going on. I hope that's helpful. Yeah. And um, I, while you were talking, I dropped in um, uh, from the Alzheimer's Association, some information on Lacana mob. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that might be interesting to some folks and, and yeah, so uh, definitely. And, and definitely because the way you described that question, it's you and your dad taking care of mom. It's like having an aging life care manager or some 
kind of external support network is, is, is will be helpful, okay? Yeah. Because as you, as I, 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 I thought the beginning of your presentation was brilliant there, um, Dr. Stetler, we're talking about the, um, uh, I, I forgot how you, the functional ability of somebody with dementia, um, you know, you could be communicating with a seven-year-old, but it's your mom who, it's hard to sort of detach yourself and realize that this is mom. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, um, <clears throat> let's see, Jennifer says uh, for local folks, Insight Memory Care Center offers free consultations and other resources. So if you're in, especially in the Northern Virginia area, definitely uh, check out Insight Memory Care Center. They're, they are a positive aging community champion, but they are just really into uh, quite a lot of innovative treatment and support and support groups and things of that nature. Um, let's see. And I'm dropping their info into uh, into chat there. Um, okay. Uh, and of course, I'm looking at the clock and it's like we burned through an, uh, a... Uh, um, an hour, but uh, let's see, we've we've got uh, another question. What can you tell me about type three diabetes? And I'm, I'm assuming type three diabetes related to Alzheimer's dementia and memory care. I'm, I'm assuming that's what, how that question came through. I mean, I'll talk generally about diabetes itself. You know, it's a precursor risk factor, if you will, um, you know, diet, exercise, all of that plays into increasing our risk for developing dementia if we are on the unhealthier side. And so it's really important that we look at our lifestyle in order to help to lower our risk. Um, yes, we have risk factors around aging and we have risk factors around heredity, of course, but there's been more and more research that shows that how we treat ourselves can be a precursor as well. And so we have to take a look at you know, what, what we eat, how much are we being physically active, how much are we socializing, right? Um, alcohol, drug use, that kind of thing as well. So all of that plays a role. And so with diabetes, except for type one, um, you know, a lot of it's attributed to our lifestyle, you know, our diet, exercise, things like that. So it is really important that we get a good handle on that if we want to lower our risk ourselves. Great. And then one thing that I like to do, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but Whenever I have an author on, I always like to take a peek at the table of contents of the book. And as you can see, um, whoops. Okay. Are, are you seeing my screen, Jennifer? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so this is direct on the Amazon site and just scrolling down to the uh, the book here and so, so with the table of contents. And one of the things um, so, you know, talking about the model, which you gave us a good overview of that, but, uh, looks like you've got some solution for the communication challenges, eating, feeding, nutrition, sleeping challenges, to toileting challenges, bathing challenges, pain and pain management, um, depression, hallucinization, repetitive behavior, sundowning, um, and, uh, intentional care. What, what, how do, how do you describe intentional care? Mm -hmm. And so in the book, I talk about, you know, it's really about being intentional of what your loved one is 
uh, going through. And it's a transition to talk about when you're intentional about what you're doing, it's going to serve them better. And so part of that is actually how you care for yourself. And so it talks about the, the importance of self-care in that when you want to be your best self and you want to provide the best care to them, it starts with you. So you have to be intentional about what you're doing. It's not about just going through the process and throwing things at them and hoping for the best. It's about saying, okay, where I am the, the giver of the care and I have to be at my best. So just as I'm going to invest in aromatherapy, I'm going to invest in dolls. I'm going to invest in training, you know, where it starts is with me. And so we talk about self-care and then it moves into that promoting brain health chapter where we talk about how do you lower your risk for developing dementia as a self-care, you know, as the, as the care provider. Um, so that's really the intentional care is all about your own self and how it starts with you. Okay, great, great. And I was really intrigued by the your description of smells and essential oils because I know, you know, personally, like one of my favorite things is cooking in a crock pot, not mm -hmm. because of the meal that I'm going to eat, but how it makes my house smell. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, the fresh baked cookies, like when you just an apple pie, like the, when you started talking about those things, I was just, I had this warm feeling inside and it sort of made me realize that this may be something that I want to play around with now. And, and that's a lot of the things that you talked about is, is, is that if we make this a practice in our, our lives now, you know, healthy living, essential oils, um, communication, mental health, all of that, none of us have a crystal ball. We all might develop dementia, but if we've got these practices in place already, just imagine how much easier it's going to be for our caregivers uh, if we're utilizing those. So um, absolutely, th this has really been excellent. And I love how you, you put it together. And I like how your, you know, your system brings together a lot of other well-known proven systems, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, a, it's, it feels like a really nice platform. Those three pillars that you talked about that could improve uh, people's lives. So uh, thank you. Really uh, congrats on, on all the work that you've done to get here. And I hope that this has been helpful to our uh, community members um, like I said, I'll get this up uh, immediately. Any sort of last closing thoughts, uh, Dr. Stetler? Yes, I just want to say, you know, I, I hope that, you know, whatever your role is, if you are caring for a loved one, if you are a professional in the field, you know, continue to educate yourself on this disease because we are learning all the time more and more. And, you know, I just say, you know, just reach out, you know, get that educate, get those that education, get those tools for yourself, because we are the ones that are going to make this difference, you know, as we continue to grow, we continue to understand more. So educate yourself as much as possible. I love it. All right. Well, folks, have a great weekend. Hope to see you next week and beyond at some of our discussions, but feel free to reach out to me directly if you've got any questions, comments, or what have you. And uh, we've got Dr. Stetler's contact in there, but um, uh, I will make sure to also have her contact info at the recording, which you can find at proaging.com. And uh, Michelle says, thank you so much. Well, thanks for joining in and contributing, Michelle. And uh, we will be talking to you all soon. Have a great weekend. Thank you.